everyone, and welcome back to But Why the Podcast, the podcast where every week, me, Kate, Adrian, and Matt talk about the things in pop culture that people say matter and ask the question, but why though? Before we get started, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to us. It really helps us out, and if you want to support us a little more, head on over to patreon.com forward slash but why though PC. Enjoy the show. But why the podcast? And today we are talking about pretty much the most influential band of all time, the Beatles. As always, I'm your host, Kate. I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. So today actually marks a first for the podcast because this is our first Patreon pick your episode episode. Um, and this topic comes from Brad. Thank you so much for all of your support. This was the pop culture topic that he wanted to hear about. So if you head on over to our Patreon for $25, you can pick what we cover for a month. Or for, not a month, an episode. An episode. Pick what we cover for an episode. One. Singular. Thanks, Brad, for all the support. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Uh, it makes picking it episodes a lot easier and you've sort of supported us so much you pick a really great topic and we're really excited about it uh much to kate's thing it's only for one but if you want to get four patreon accounts and <laughs> get that tier four times go for it and uh, i just want to like put a little disclaimer it's obvious that none of us were born during beatlemania or experienced that in any way but I think it's really safe to say that we live in a culture right now that's touched and shaped by the influence of the Beatles. We have countless movies, animations, theories, merchandise covers, and references that kind of saturate all our life. So that being said, understand that we will probably miss some stuff this episode, but feel free to let us know and tweet at us, talk to us in Discord, um, and tell us about your Beatles experiences, especially if you were somebody who witnessed it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot. I think now that we're trying to kind of go back and, like, revisit episodes, I think this will definitely be one that we'll have to come back to and kind of cover things we don't miss because it's it's huge. And yeah. we would love to talk to three hours, but you're not going to listen to an episode for three hours. So yeah. <laughs> here we are. Kate did her best. <laughs> I be did. Fun. And I did make a note that John Lennon needs to get his own revisit episode. Like, just yeah. him by himself. Exactly. Um, Paul McCartney can't, too. Anyway, all these British guys. Okay. Cool. So, to start off with our question, what's your favorite Beatles song and why? Um, my favorite beer so- Beatles song. I'm beer gonna song. go beer song. Beer song. <laughs> the beer song. Beatles song. Uh, Beatles song would be. I'm. I'm just gonna go with the default of "Come Together." Nice. That's the default. For me, it is. Yeah. What would the default Beatles song be? Revolution. I don't think so. I don't know what the default. There's just so many that I don't know yeah. like, what the default is. We'll put it this way: when they did the rock band game, "Come Together" was the song they put on the commercials. Yeah, I think. Revolution. Yeah, but they're also trying to advertise a game, though. Like, come that's together, the point. That's play the our default game. song. It's come usually used in a lot of stuff. Right now, <laughs> we're not, not going to do this, no, or I'm going to no. leave. I'm sorry. 
I, I'm not doing I spent, this shit. <laughs> I spent all day listening to the Beatles. Oh my god. Okay, anyway, so Come Together is Matt's default song for the Beatles and his favorite song. Adrian? Oh, and why? I'm guessing Guitar Hero? One, it was not on Guitar Hero. Get it right. And uh, <laughs> two, uh, I don't know because I don't care for the Beatles that much. Oh. Well, you just said that it was the song for Guitar Hero. No, I said it was a song for Rock Band. Oh, Rock Band, that's right. It all blends together. It's all the same thing. No, it does not. (laughs) They're very two distinct different games. Matt still has all his old uh, Guitar Hero guitars, so I'll take his word on that. Okay, Adrian? Um... I should have looked at this before because I legitimately like to have no idea. Um, there Do you want are... me to go next? Yeah, can you go next? Like while I like try to rack my brain. There's so many no songs. Um, yeah, so mine is "I Want to Hold Your Hand" because that's just like a song that I think is really sweet and I really like, but like something that I personally like i don't know i guess hold on to is in my life that's probably my favorite beatles song um because it just kind of like talks about like uh the, the lyrics are like there are places that i remember and places that i've been and some of them are you know like and it talks about like as time moves on like there are some things that stick with you and then like how and it's a love song to somebody who like brings all that back to life when they're with them and I just think it's a really, really cool song. Um, so that's that's my why. Uh, but, like, honestly, I listened to the Beatles a whole bunch as a kid because my dad had, like, every single Beatles album, like, first edition vinyl. Um, he used to play music on Sunday mornings when they'd clean the house and big speakers. So the Beatles were around all the time. Your turn, Adrian. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, I'm looking, like, through all of these, uh, and they just all just, like, mean like different things in points of my life like if I think I did I, I can do like three I think that yeah I, I, Adrian, I, it's just really... I have three written down on my paper right in front of me right now <laughs> yeah it, to be honest like to, to be like perfectly honest like, it's just really hard for me to pick one um because like my grandma loved the Beatles and like whenever I think of the Beatles I think about her um and all of these songs just like remind me of her like every single one of them because no matter what move she was in she would like play different songs so like um, you know, like Let It Be, Strawberry Fields Forever, like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Um, like just like all these songs just mean like different things. So I don't think I have a favorite, to be honest. Like I can listen to any of them and feel something. And I think that's something that I'm gonna like show in the But Why Those Two is like not only do the Beatles have a variety of songs in general over thirteen albums, but they have a variety of genres that those songs fall into. So like they really span so many like so many years, so many types of music that there's kind of a Beatles song for everybody, unless you don't like the Beatles at all, but like there's they're not just one type of music, right? Like yeah. if you listen to the doors, it's one type of music. Or Jimi Hendrix is one type of music. And it doesn't mean that those people aren't influential. It just means that for the span of the Beatles, there is literally a smorgasbord of things to choose from. So as we get into it, I'm going to give a very, 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 very brief history uh, because as I did all the research and looked up stuff and went through like personal stories with people in the Beatles, 
there's so many but why those to this i didn't want to spend a lot of time documenting their history because you'll kind of get in the but why those as we go through it um so the beatles were an english rock band formed in liverpool in 1959 1960 it's a little little funny there um i think it's officially 1960 with members john john lennon paul mccartney george harrison and ringo Starr. they became widely regarded as the foremost most as the foremost and most influential music band in history, not just rock. So rooted in skiffle beat and 1950s rock and roll, the Beatles later experimented with several music styles, like I said, ranging from pop ballads and Indian music to psychedelia and hard rock, often incorporating classical elements and unconventional recording techniques and in innovative ways. And this gave us a whole bunch of music first, like they were constantly pushing the boundaries. So, led by primary songwriters Lennon and McCartney, the band were integral to pop music's evolution into an art form and to the development of the counterculture of the 1960s. The Beatles built their, their reputation playing clubs in Liverpool and Hamburg over a three-year period from 1960 with Stuart Sutcliffe initially serving as a bass player. The core trio of Lennon, McCartney, and, Hank, and Harrison have had been together since 1958, and they ended up going through a whole bunch of drummers, including Pete Best, and before they finally ended up with the iconic Ringo Starr who joined them in 1962. And their first hit, um, Love Me Do, uh, came in 1962. So from 1965 onwards, the Beatles produced increasingly innovative recordings, including albums Rubber Soul, Revolver, Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band, and the White Album and Abbey Road. These are some of the ones that most people will know whenever they think of Beatles and they think of albums. And just right now, like saying those words, like those album covers are actually coming into my head. And then, of course, the band breaks up in 1970. A lot of people blame um, John's wife, Yoko Ono. Uh, but they each ended up enjoying really successful careers as solo artists after that point to the like and to that fact Paul McCartney is still recording and producing music and making a crap ton of money. So nobody was hurt by that breakup, really. Um, they kind of, like, knew when to quit. And that's about it. That's a short history. I don't know if there are any questions after that. Um, no, I mean, not for the history. I think it's pretty... Their, their history is pretty straightforward. Like, they were, a, they were a rock band, and then they blew the hell up. <laughs> And then they stopped doing music. I think that's like a pretty... Uh, okay, so the first but why, though, I had to lead with as a giant fan of boy bands and teen idols as a 90s kid. In 1963, their enormous popularity led to Beatlemania, which pretty much is the rise of the boy band, at least in the way that we know them now. Um, so before this, you had a whole bunch of like cookie cutter models of groups, so everybody looked the same, kind of did the same things. But as they acquired the name the Fab, the Fab Four through, as Beatlemania grew in Britain over the next year, um, by early 1964, they ended up becoming international stars, and this led to the British invasion of the United States pop market. And this is regarded arguably arguably as the biggest moment in music history as a whole like i went through multiple like lists and stuff like that and this is regarded as that moment where like things just really shift in music in the u.s at least 
Um, in a lot of ways, the entire pop scene and the girl power, um, you know, the girl power essence of the 90s from the Spice Girls is deeply, deeply, deeply rooted in the model that the Beatles set. So essentially, um, the Spice Girls actually mimicked a lot of the marketing tactics that Beatlemania had when the British invasion came over to the US. Um, that being said, they definitely inspire the idea of the boy band. So starting with New Kids on the Block, Menudo, Backstreet Boys, and Sync, all of those. Um, because before the Beatles, teen idols were really, really clean cut. There were, um, they were built around the boy next door. Now you did have guys like Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis, the guys who represented rock and roll. Um, but you ended up moving away from that on a lot of television and getting guys like Fa Frankie Avalon and Bobby Rydell who are like just think cookie cutter 1950s person. Um, obviously, this is a sweeping statement and there are people who don't fit into that. Um, but with the introduction of the Beatles, you got this boy band which encompassed multiple identities. They weren't single acts and multiple ideas of what being rock and roll and being masculine meant. And this is something that we still follow today, right? Like Paul was a cute and adorable one. John was smart and slightly dangerous. George was quiet and shy and Ringo was fun and goofy. Like if you think of like any boy band models, you still have that like everybody has a role they play in the group. So they kind of like set that the and this identity was formed and crafted very, very and closely monitored by Brian Epstein. They picked their clothes. They picked um, their sets, the music that they played on TV, all of those things. And in the early stages of Beatles, they were very much controlled by this manufactured identity of the boy band. But they did let them compose their own songs and this was not a common practice to have it to happen for young acts um most young acts didn't compose their own music but the beatles did so in february of 1964 the beatles ended up leaving the uk with an estimated 4,000 fans at the airport they were waving and screaming as they took off and then when they landed in new york they had 3,000 people greeting them and this was their first time in the U.S. And their first live U.S. appearance was on The Ed Sullivan Show. And it was a watched by 73 million people in over 23 million households. On Or 34% of the American population tuned into that show and they saw the Beatles. That's really big. Um, a biographer, Jonathan Gold, writes that according to the Nielsen Rating Service, and the Nielsen Rating Service are the people who kind of like judge TV ratings and stuff. Like a while back, they used to send you boxes and monitored what you watched, stuff like that. Um, it was the largest audience that had ever been recorded for any television program. The next morning, the Beatles awoke to a lot of negative criticism. Like in the US, it was kind of a consensus, but it they ultimately solidified Beatlemania in the US and the British invasion once they held their concert in the Washington Coliseum. And so in New York the following day, the Beatles were met with a strong reception while they did two shows at Carnegie Hall. The band then flew to Florida and appeared on the weekly Ed Sullivan show for a second time before another 70 million viewers, and then they returned to the UK. And this was all in the span of a couple of weeks. Like, they took over the US in a couple of weeks. Um, the Beatles' first visit to the US impacted the nation in mourning. The 
John F. Kennedy had just been assassinated, and it was really hard to kind of turn on that happy core. Um, and it's been mentioned that for many, particularly young people, they reignited this sense of excitement and possibility that had faded in the wake of John F. Kennedy's assassination. And it's helped set the stage for revolutionary social changes that came later on in the decade. And ultimately, their main competition were guys like Bob Dylan. Um, but this would come later on because early in their careers, this boy band model, yeah, they were kind of the only people doing it. So they were pretty much unopposed, but they, they changed American tastes. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember um, my grandma telling me about the like the backlash that they had, mm-hmm. um, and I guess I can kind of like understand it. But the fact that they still pulled all those numbers is crazy. Like, I can't imagine what it would be like if they didn't have those dissenters. Like, how much bigger it would have been for them to come to the U.S. So the next but why though is something that we're really used to nowadays, and it's this idea of irreverence. Um, specifically in the pop culture space. So people, and when I say pop culture space, I mean people who are producing pop culture. So like musicians, actors, all that type of stuff. This was something that really wasn't done. And this goes back to the idea of having these cookie cutter models for celebrity status and entertainment in this time. Stuff was highly censored and highly produced to fit the idea of what needed to be done. And the Beatles just blew through all of that. Um, so it exists, like, there were musicians, uh, specifically musicians of color, who really pushed past and were irreverent. Um, but so far as, like, large scale and kind of, like, setting this into a trend of what it meant to be a public identity, um, the Beatles kind of did that here, specifically with anti-authority and being really loud um, about it and not shying away from it. Um, again, they didn't start it, but they are the ones who kind of solidified it because they have the visibility that say like other musicians that musicianship of color who like didn't um so it seems ridiculous now but if you really think about it before the beatles came to america long hair was a term that was usually used for really small groups of like beatniks and bohemians and like it just was not something that you got from professional musicians um, and what the Beatles did, just by simply showing up to the stage with their long hair, it was an act of kind of breaking that norm of what it meant to be seen as popular and accept- accepted, specifically because long hair was seen as being, like, eccentric. Um, and they kind of weren't when you really get down to it. And they made it popular and guys started growing their hair out. Um, they recognized to a certain extent the absurdity of pop music and they seemed really really determined really really determined to go their own way and outside of like this pop culture this like pop music machine this attitude was always apparent whenever they dealt with the press and this is probably where you most largely get the sense of irreverence specifically from john lennon during encounters with the press they would good-naturedly turn questions back on reporters or they would straight up like answer them with nonsense like how did you write this i was staring at a shoe like they messed with reporters all the time especially when they thought that their questions really weren't warranted 
Um, you know how the press as asks really prying questions. They did back then, too. And the Beatles made it really, really clear that they were independent thinkers and they weren't going to do what people wanted them to do. They made art for themselves and they didn't care if the world approved of it or not. And this is actually one of the things that made them more popular. Um, when they fired back at the press, even compared to Elvis, who is known for being like pretty irreverent, um, he was still professional and cordial and like with adults and stuff like that. But the Beatles, again, specifically John Lennon, they weren't um, at all. Um, they kind of they had snarky comics like Matt, like think of Matt <laughs> responding to the press. And that's essentially the Beatles. Can't have an opinion. What? I said you can't have an opinion. No, they're pop factory people. No yeah. opinions. Um, so probably the fiercest piece of backlash came came from a comment John Lennon made uh, about them being popular, more popular than or bigger than Jesus. And the funny thing is, is nobody in the UK cared. But the U.S. did, which I guess it's not really funny because the U.S. Um, so like social conservatives, religious people, and by this point, and we'll get to it later, the Beatles had already pissed off a lot of people like the KKK, um, who a lot of people forget are Christian, um, but they all wanted the Beatles out. They staged mass burnings um, because essentially John Lennon said, um, this is a direct quote. Christianity, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right and I will be proved right. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting it all that ruins it for me. Um, and this was directly in response to essentially a reporter asking a probing question on just how big Lennon thought the Beatles were. Um, and so... You can kind of see why people in the U.S. did that. They probably will still do that today. Um, but nobody in the U.K. Bat batted an eye. Um, essentially what ended up happening, a U.S. fan magazine ended up printing, those, printing that quote about five months after it happened. And it was right before the group's revisit, um, you know, U.S. tour. In, and it ended up sparking this giant controversy, specifically in the Bible Belt. And the Vatican, the good old Vatican, Vatican, also issued a protest, which led to bans of the Beatles records being imposed by, by the Spanish and Dutch stations, as well as South Africa's national broadcasting service. So they were highly censored because of this comment. Epstein accused Datebook, which was the fan magazine that printed it, of having taken Lennon's words out of context. At a press conference, Lennon actually pointed out that if I had said television was more popular than Jesus, I might have gotten away with it. But because he said himself, people had a problem. Um, Lennon claimed that he was referring to how other people viewed their success, but at the prompting of reporters, he concluded, if you want me to apologize, if that's just going to make you happy, then okay, I'm sorry. So it wasn't heartfelt at all. He just really wanted the reporters to stop talking about this. And the Beatles um, were pretty much a self-contained unit and had a very big damn the consequences attitude as this shows. And it had 
it had transformation for everyone. And they also ended up opening the door for a number of bands who would be able to express this attitude more freely once this barrier had been pushed back. And the attitude specifically is pushing back against the press and not being forced into answering questions or answering questions in a way that conformed to the standards of the culture around them. And this very much opens up the door for the counterculture, but this actually leads directly into the next point is where the Beatles actually take a huge stance on civil rights in the US. Questions, comments, feedback? Um, it just like shows how much like more influence, I mean, and you're, you're gonna get into it here in a second, but just like how different their the way that they, you know, so they started like boy bands, right? And like just how mm-hmm. different they would be compared to like NSYNC or the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Like NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys aren't making comments like this because they want the popularity more than they care about like what's going on. So it's, mm-hmm. it's just crazy the, the differences. Like I can't think of any other boy band or band in general who does the, who's done those kind of things since, you know, this wave of generation of like boy bands and stuff. Yeah. Boy bands, I can't. Like, musicians, I can't. Like, when I heard this, I thought of, like, Sinead O'Connor ripping up a picture of the Pope on Saturday Night Live. Um, That tanked her career. But, to this day, she says she does not regret it. Um, But, like, the weird thing is that this would have tanked anybody else. And there were mass burnings of Beatles records. Which I kind of think, like, all of this goes back to show you, like, Lennon said it five months before it was actually printed in the U.S., which reminds me of Twitter culture. And then also people went out and bought Beatles records to burn them, which reminds me of, like, the Keurig protests. Yeah. <laughs> like, just so just things dumb. actually haven't changed that much. Well, technically, it's pretty much the same people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is the same people. <laughs> They're just now more older, and they can afford Keurigs. They can afford more Keurigs. Yeah. Um, the other really interesting thing here is it kind of shows you how popular culture is always the target instead of, like, cult- the culture or society at large dealing with bigger issues like segregation and lynchings in the South and in the Bible Belt, where people were very pissed off about this or dealing with issues within the Catholic Church and sex crimes that, you know, their own people were committing. But, like, somehow the Beatles had such a status, I guess, either that or they were deflecting, that it just, like, they chose to attack them instead of looking at any other societal problems, which is, and we see that happening now. It's happened to, you know, it's happened to a number of, like, rock artists and even hobbies, Thank you for putting my thoughts into a podcast form. I said it's very edited of what I actually originally said. But it's still what you said. Yeah. <laughs> so, as I said, the next piece is that the Beatles actually took a stand for civil rights. And I think this is really, really important to mention, not just because it shows you like the caliber of their character, but I think it also specifically shows like in a time where activism is 
really easy to it, it's really easy to be performative and say you're gonna do stuff on the internet and say you're gonna do something it's a whole different ball game to actually put your money where your mouth is lose money lose popularity and use your platforms to enact change and if not even on a grand scale a smaller scale like actually doing stuff and that's what the beatles did because during their 1964 u.s tour the group were confronted with the reality of racial seg racial segregation in the country at the time particularly in the south when they were informed that the venue that they had booked for their september concert the gator bowl in jacksonville florida was segregated the beatles said that they would refuse to perform unless the audience was allowed to be integrated Lennon stated, we have, we never play to segregated audiences and we aren't going to start now. I'd sooner lose our appearance money. City officials relented, but eventually ended up agreeing to allow the integrated show. The group also canceled all of their reservations at whites only hotels um, in Jacksonville. The documents that have come out from these tours reveal that for all of their tours between 65 and 66, the Beatles included specific clauses in every contract stipulating that their shows must, must be integrated or they would not play. And that's a lot of money. And that is a very strong mark to draw on the sand. Um, and it's something that I don't think I didn't know this until I did this research. Um, but beyond that, they actually made their, like, by doing this, they made their music accessible and made, um, and, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not black, I'm not from that community, but I did look up some um, personal stories about it, and there's, um, there's a writer by the name of Kitty Oliver who shared this piece, um, this, this, this um, I cut out a paragraph um, from her piece talking about, like, what the Beatles did for her. And she says, in such a climate, what the Beatles did was remarkable. It may be difficult for younger people and people who have lived outside the U.S. to picture a time of such insularity when musicians speaking out about social and political issues risked artistic and economic censure. In pop music today, performers flaunt their activism. During the civil rights movement era, however, the careers of many black artists had already suffered, causing some to move to Europe to survive. White artists like the Beatles, especially being non-American, had the choice of waiting until they went home to make a comment or staying completely out of the fray. Instead, the Beatles stepped into this arena. And I think like that really encapsulates how much the Beatles could have not said something. Um, but they did. And beyond that, um, Paul McCartney and John Lennon actually wrote a song that's in direct deck that is in direct relation to the Little Rock Nine. And if you don't know who the Little Rock Nine are, you really, really should. Um, they were a group of nine black students who faced discrimination and lasting and made a lasting impact of segregation after enrolling in the all in the all white little rock central high school in 1957 following the supreme court's historic brown versus the board of education decision um i'll include a link in the in the show notes of this to um the article that actually had um a moment between paul mccartney when he actually met two of the little rock nine um and performing blackbird for them because blackbird a very famous Beatles song that is everywhere um was written about the little rock nine um i don't know if anybody knew that but i did I, you did yes oh that's cool i didn't know that 
Adrian, did you know that? Yeah, I knew that. Okay. My grandma, again, yeah. Your grandma? told me all about it, yeah. Well, because she was, like, she was in her early teens, like, when the Beatles were big. Yeah. So she was, like, prime demographic for them when they first came to the U.S. So she was just, like, inundated with with them. So she would just tell us about it all the time. Um, now I'm just, like, now I'm thinking back, I should just, like, listen more. Because like, all this <laughs> stuff is super important. Because I remember her telling me this, but I didn't know to, like, I didn't know that they he that they had met um, part of the Little Rock Nine. Yeah, and it was um, specifically Paul McCartney. That was like later yeah. in the two thousands that they ended up doing that. He oh, okay, ended up then, them. okay, that yeah. makes more sense. Yeah, I thought so, they I thought they did it like right away. Or oh no 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 yeah sorry oh, okay, I should cool. have clarified that not at that time. Um, okay cool cool that, uh, that makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, this is a quote from Paul McCartney on the song Blackbird. Um, And he says, way back in the 60s, there was a lot of trouble going on over civil rights, particularly in Little Rock. We would notice this on the news back in England. So it's really important. It's a really important place for us because to me, this is where civil rights started. We would see what was going on and sympathize with the people going through those troubles. And it made me want to write a song that if, if it ever got back to people going through those troubles, it just might help them a little bit. And that's this next one. And that's how he introduced his set in Little Rock um, right before he sang Blackbird. Fun fact. Um, yeah. Any comments, questions about that? No, I think it's super cool. Woke AF before woke <laughs> was a thing. And actually doing things. Yeah, exactly. Like, right? Actually doing stuff about about the issues yeah and valuing those issues like above their own like monetary gain which is like like um the pete like the quote from kitty oliver that i read like rich people don't have to do that <laughs> you know exactly um especially people not from the u.s um so the next piece is about the counterculture and psychedelia. Um, the first indication that the Beatles had entered a new phase of exploration was the last song on their 1966 album, Revolver. Um, and the lyrics to the song, Tomorrow Never Knows, were cribbed from a book called The Psychedelic Experience, a manual based on the dependent Book of the Dead, which was written by LSD advocate Dr. Timothy Leary and Guru Ram Das and academic Ralph. Metzger. So, yeah, this was their start into their trip. Um, like the language of the book, Tomorrow Never Knows featured abstract lyrics infused with a spiritual undercurrent, and the music matched their tone. An Indian, an Indian music drone weaved through a hypnotic, unceasing drum pattern that seemed about to trip itself with every repetition, and various recurring backwards tape effects created an, un- an otherworldly scramble. John Lennon's vocals... Um, was processed so that it sounded swirling and distant, and Paul McCartney's laughter ended up being looped and played backwards to produce a flock of crying seagulls. So this was their start into psychedelia, and I copy and pasted that word for word because that sounds like a trip. <laughs> yeah, this reminds me of um, a, a couple of things. So, like, one, it reminds me when. Uh, when I was younger, and I'm like, Grandma, like the Beatles were on LSD, Lucy and the Sky with Diamonds, uh, and she just like loved the Beatles so much that she like never she never bought it. She was like, No, they're they're better than Jesus. They they would never do that. <laughs> uh, but it also reminds me that in in 
the John C. Riley movie. Uh, walk hard. Walk, walk hard. We're gonna go drop acid with the Beatles, and then I just like that whole sequence. Whenever I, I think of that, their trippy song. That's all I, I go back to. Like, do we cock dropping acid with the Beatles? I just want to know who thinks to like loop their own loop one loop their laughter as a backtrack and then reverse it. Yeah. Just make it sound like seagulls. It's crazy. I just go get some seagulls. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Paul. Um, so Strawberry Fields Forever was the Beatles' next single after this. And from its cryptic lyrics, uh, essentially nothing is real and nothing to get hung about, to its unusual distant chords, it was trippy through and through. And they had all of the Indian inspirations and cellos and backwards tracks playing and it also featured um beetle uh beetles medley melody um and it made it just really really strange but really really accessible to people and it ended up being a top 10 hit and it it set the template moving forward for um, pretty much the Beatles' psychedelic journey, which is also known as Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which was an album that is usually cited as one of the most influential rock albums ever recorded. And, I mean, everybody was listening to this, like, from other musicians and teenagers and adults and radio stations, like, everybody was listening to it and this new wave of psychedelic rock um and everything that came with that you know all that lifestyle um also became a major part of the u.s culture and this lasted for years and once the beatles weighed in it was just freaking strawberries fields forever that's all i can think of um and, you know, of course, all the LSD that would be consumed over that time. They like drugs. They did. They really did. And I you like can't do some LSD with the Beatles. And you can't even say it was the 80s they were on drugs. Oh, no. The 80s they did cocaine. The 60s they did acid. <laughs> A lot of acid. Um... Which is funny, because the remaining Beatles look very good for doing that many drugs compared to, like, Mick <laughs> Jagger and stuff like that. Um, so, the next but why, though, is all the music firsts that they had. There's a lot of them, um, and this is not all of them, so feel free to at me any of them that I left off. Um, but they were the first act to play a large stadium in 1965 when they sold out a stadium in 17 minutes for 50, over 55,000 people. Um, yeah, this is before Ticketmaster. Yeah, before online. Like, it's insane. Um, and they also pioneered the music video with A Hard Day's Night, which is a feature, it's a film that features several full song sequences that don't really further the plot of the the plot of the film but work together and edited as it, it's it's like lemonade it's a visual album essentially 
Um, and the most famous of these is the sequence for Can't Buy Me Love. And this features the Beatles running through a field. Um, and the editing in this one is super quick. And the film is sped up and slowed down in time with the movement um, of the music. And there is a lot of low level and aerial photography. And essentially in A Hard Day's Night, you just have what you haven't seen before because you had like kind of music videos so like stuff on the Ed Sullivan show um or like taped recordings of a band just playing there but when we think of what we when we think of a music video today this is really the start and solidification of that um so like without a hard day's night you don't get lemonade guys um I think we'll be okay <laughs> lemonade is great yeah. <sighs> If you listen to our guest spot on the Sith list, you should not be surprised by that comment. Not bad. I think it's overrated. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, what am I going to do with you? Anyway, so um, at this point when A Hard Day's Night was released, the Beatles had stopped touring for a bit, and these promotional films, which they made more of um, during their breaks, ended up becoming really, really important to help keep their name recognition boost you know drive traffic boost sales you know as a piece of marketing um and they ended up showing on tvs and even movie theaters um many other artists including um and many other artists would continue to make films like this through the 70s until mtv ended up coming along and made videos like a standard tool of record promotion um but before that um george harrison and paul mccartney also beatles ended up making their own versions and their solo acts um in fact the use of music films is an inspiration for the movie musical across the universe which stars evan rachel wood and jim sturgis which is a movie with just beatles songs it is a story told by Beatles songs, and it is so damn good, and I love that movie, and I wanted to watch it before this, but I have it on DVD, and I was not watching TV because I was playing WoW. Um. It happens. <laughs> um, they also did rock animation. So, like, animation. Their music first was being in a band in an animated TV show. Uh, there was a Beatles cartoon that actually ran for three seasons on ABC in the mid to late 60s, and it ended up exposing young brothers and sisters of, like, existing Beatles listeners to Beatle music um, and the Beatles as it is. And this is also thought of, this may be disputed, of the first animation based on real people. So actual people who exist in real life with cartoons about them. Um, the Beatles were Have you were... ever seen an episode? No, I haven't. Oh. Why, have you? Yes, I've seen only, like, one. What was it? What it's was just, it like? It's just weird. <laughs> Explain it. I know well, it's I've just, like, seen... 60s animation. Because, like, I've seen, like, spoofs of it, like, on one of the Seth MacFarlane shows. <laughs> um... It was a long time ago. It was just one of those I happened to catch it, and it was just... Beatles TV, and I was just like, Was uh, it trippy? Was it just, was it kitty? I mean, was it we like, I just don't care for the Beatles that much, so kind of like I was like, I wasn't interested, but I just remember watching like one of them, and it was weird, yeah. And I was like, I'm good, <laughs> you're can, good, I'm gonna pass. <laughs> um, well, that's fine because the Beatles actually didn't like these cartoons either. Um, they didn't participate in any of 
the cartoon, like with the exception of um, just licensing their their music. Um, but this launches cartoons for uh, the Jackson Five and the Osmonds, as well as the invention of the Archies and Josie and the Pussycats. Um, which is now a hit show on the CW called Riverdale. So without the Beatles, we don't get that either. Um, Once again, we could pass on those as well. No! I mean, we can't pass on Josie and the Pussy. Josie and the Pussycats was dope. Yes. Riverdale, we can pass on Riverdale. No! <laughs> we can pass on that. No! I didn't even know those things were connected, and it makes me sad. They are. It's all the same universe. You're going to defend I'm the Archies sad. too? Well, the Archies is Riverdale. Archie and Jughead and Veronica and Betty. Yeah, we can pass. I love them! It's so good! I'm good. Y'all just hate me. I, I love Josie and the Pussycat. I just don't like Riverdale. I tried. I, I gave it a legitimate college try and I did not like it. <laughs> Wasn't even gonna bother. Yeah, you didn't. I binged it in the other room, though. Um, okay, so essentially this ends up these shows actually end up creating an entire genre of pop music called bubblegum pop, which is music, pop music, associated with cartoons. So, yeah, let that sink in. I can't remember the name of it, but there was that one thing with the shark. You know what I'm talking about? The shark that played the drums was a cartoon. Anyway, this also leads to stuff like Gem the Holograms and stuff like that and the music that's associated with it. Um, Sergeant Pepper's Only Hearts Club was also the very first record to include all of the lyrics to all of the songs on the back of an album. Um, this hadn't been done before, um, but this goes hand in hand with the Beatles' idea of creating a cohesive story in their album. So they, they did that. Um, in 1988, they were inter they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on their very first year of eligible of their very first year of eligibility, um, which not many people have done. Um, and it was just because I mean, the first year they and and that's because there ha there's like a waiting period from the time a band starts to the time they can be inducted into the Hall of Fame, um, and so uh, when they were inducted, actually. Paul McCartney refused to attend because he didn't want to be seen as a hypocrite because Yoko Ono was also presenting on stage in the stead of John Lennon. And Paul McCartney was like, no, I've talked crap about Yoko Ono. I said I don't like her. I'm not going to accept a word with her. The other ones came, though. Stick um, to your guns. Pretty much. <laughs> um, so, also, unrelated, kind of related, uh, it was Jabberjaw. Was Jabberjaw! Yeah! Because I was also thinking about it. I was like, hey, what, what's the name of the show? But yeah, that's it. Jabberjaw. Okay. So without the Beatles, we don't get sharks playing with drums. Yeah. And I know awesome. Matt likes... <laughs> sharks playing drums? I don't care for the drums. Oh my god. What if it was a shark playing drums, rock band, playing, come together? No. What if it was a shark playing a guitar? No. Shark singing? They would all be dead. They can't breathe. Oh my god, and Matt. And water doesn't happen Matt, the water. suspend disbelief. No. Oh my god. But fun fact out of that. So on Rock Band and Guitar Hero, uh, Rock Band and the Beatles, apparently you had it for, on the expert mode, you had to get 100% on the solo on one of the hardest songs with all the drums in which have the achievement. 
Only because we split it among four people and each took their own little thing. Wait, what? So you each had your own drum? Yes, and a foot. Somebody had to do the foot pedal. Whoever did the foot pedal, we felt sorry for him. He got an arm workout that day. <laughs> so you cheated. Yes, but we got it. <laughs> <laughs> and put it this way, you can say we cheated, but oh my gosh, for four people, it still took us like an hour and a half to do it. I mean, Ringo is considered one of the best drummers of all time, so I think that's fine. <laughs> oh, I know that foot pedal was hard. Did you do the foot pedal? So basically, I think I at one time I had the foot pedal, but then if somebody else messed up, and after a while, you can only do the foot pedal for about four <laughs> times before your like arms gave out. So then we had to rotate. I wish there was a video of that. It sounds really intense. Yeah, so there was four of us because you have the four drums and then the foot pedal. And then basically you had two, one, one, and one. Wow. Well, we got it. If you're listening at home and you scored perfect on that song, please let us know. <laughs> you call me a liar. I need to look up a YouTube and see if there's anybody who did that. It's only the drums. That's what I mean. Yeah. No, I'm saying because the song usually has four different instruments. Yeah. Yeah, and it's only the drum part. Gosh. Okay. So um, they were also one of the first artists to sign on for online music service deals. Granted, this is after after a very, very long time that they were in the courts fighting for licensing. Um, I think it was Michael Jackson owned, like, the bulk of their music and their license rights. Um yeah, man. It took forever like, uh, to get the Beatles on anything. But yeah, but when they did, um, the Beatles actually released all 13 of their studio albums onto online streaming services that, streaming services that were available at the time. Um, Blame Metallica. We could have just had Napster and had it all. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, that's also one of the most infin- infam- infamous moments in music. Had everyone for everybody. Yep, they sued the crap out of Mount Napster. I know they did. And then people got mad at U2 for giving away their music for free. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, so, the other first is Continual Evolution. Um, and this goes back to what I said earlier about there really being a song for everyone because of all of the different things. So, and in, in, in yeah. In Icons of Rock, an encyclopedia of the legends who changed music forever, Scott Schneider and Andy Schwartz describe the Beatles' musical evolution this way. In their initial incarnation as cheerful, wisecracking mop tops, the Fab Four revolutionized the sound, style, and attitude of popular music and opened rock and roll's doors to a tidal wave of British rock acts. Their initial impact would have been enough to establish the Beatles as one of their era's most influential cultural forces. But they didn't stop there. Although their, although their initial style was highly original, irresistibly catchy, a catchy synthesis of early American rock and roll and R&B, the Beatles spent the rest of the 1960s expanding stylistic frontiers, consistently staking out new musical territory on each release. The band's increasingly sophisticated experimentation encompassed a variety of genres, including folk rock, country, psychedelia, and baroque pop without sacrificing the effortless mass appeal of their early work. Essentially, they did a whole bunch of different things and people still love them no matter what they produced. And yeah. no other band can really say that. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't really think of like a group of people who 
I don't like that like I like part of their music or like there's something that they did that I don't you know what I mean like there's always a few albums that I don't like from like even my favorite artists but I like just about every kind of genre that they did and like a lot of people will be like oh you sold out and did stuff this way or oh yeah, exactly. you changed like um like was it like Lady Gaga changed her sound to be like super acoustic now and like a lot of people didn't like it yeah it's um, trash <laughs> I yeah, like exactly it. I like it. It's trash. I like it. Anyway, all that goes to prove that really nobody can pull this off. And they jumped through so many genres. Like, each record is, like, a completely different band. Um, But everybody loved them, no matter what. Like, they never lost that giant audience that they had from their initial start. Um, They also, this is another but why, though, we've left the firsts at me if you have more. You probably do. Um, and the next but why, though, is that they changed how we listen to music. So in April of 1964, two months before their landfall in America, Beatles songs occupied the top five positions of the Billboard Top 100 at the same time. But they weren't happy with just having singles. So at the time, and even now to some extent, there's a focus on getting your singles as hits and that's it. A single and move on. A single and move we on. We could technically argue that that's more focused today. Yeah, I think that's a fair argument. Um, and for them, they did not want to be singles machines. They wanted to be storytellers. So every song on a Beatles album is important to the whole of the story. Um, and they were really telling stories with their albums when you listen from start to end. Um, however, marketing, especially in the U.S., ended up watering this down. And Sgt. Pepper's Lonely, um, Lonely Hearts Club Band was the very first time the same album was released in the same order with all of the songs everywhere. Before then, an album, so like if you take Revolver in the UK, would be different than than what was released in the US. They would chop it up and split it up based on the market audience at the time. Um, But that goes against everything the Beatles were doing with writing their stuff. Um, so they had, I don't know, do y'all want me to list all 13 albums or just keep going? Keep going. Okay. Um, this, one of the last but why those is a sad one. Um, and it's the murder of John Lennon. Um, this is regarded as one of the, like, saddest points in pop culture history, um, in music history, um, and, like, reedified that, like, that entire era of talent died super young um so john winston ono lennon died on december 8th um i thought it was cool to include his last name because he actually took his wife's last name um but um when people talked about it um this is essentially what they said John Lennon was not God, but he earned the love and admiration of his generation by creating a huge body of work that inspired and led. The appreciation for him deepened because he then instinctively decided to use his celebrity as a bully pulpit for causes greater than his own enrichment and a self-grandizement. And that was one of the reasons why it was felt so hard when he la- um, when he passed. So after an evening at Record Planet on December 8th, Lennon and Ono returned to their Manhattan apartment in a limousine. 
They exit the vehicle and walk through the archway of the Dakota when lone gunman Mark David Chapman shot Lennon four times in the back at close range. Lennon was rushed in a police cruiser to an emergency room at Roosevelt Hospital where he was pronounced dead on arrival. Earlier that evening, Lennon had autographed a copy of Double Fantasy for that same guy. Um... Ono issued a statement the next day saying there is no funeral for John, ending it with the words, John loved and prayed for the human race. Please do the same for him. His remains ended up being cremated and scattered in New York Central Park, where strawberry, where the Strawberry Fields Memorial was later created and stands to this day. Um, he, like I said earlier, he kind of deserves his own episode because there's a lot to, like, unpack from this as to why it was so impactful. Like, half of it was for the Beatles and the other half is for his own solo work that he did and a lot of the activism that he did after he exited the Beatles. Um, I also probably could have included like the whole like Yoko Ono split and stuff like that with the Beatles, but so much to get through and I am at just an hour right now. <laughs> so um, yeah, my dad talked about how sad it was when John Lennon died because my dad was a huge Beatles fan because um, it was kind of like from how he described it when it came to like seeing it on TV and stuff like that it was like just like I don't know creativity left um, and essentially this kind of leads us into the I don't know if y'all have anything else um, th there's actually a movie about uh, Chapman called chapter 26 or chapter 27 because like the guy was like obsessed with capture the rye and had that whole like john lennon's talking to me through this type thing yeah i mean there's a whole lot of stuff there i don't think you need to go too much into it because that's going to like spawn this whole other conversation yeah. uh but um i mean obviously like i wasn't born in 1980 so i don't know about this but again like back to like I remember, like, I, don't, I haven't seen anyone get, like, emotional over, like, a celebrity dying like my grandma did when John, uh, when, when he died. It's like when, like, old Mexican ladies cry when you bring up, like, Juan Gabriel. Like, that's yeah. the only thing I can, <laughs> that's the only thing I can connect it to, uh, is when he's just, I can't even imagine what it was like for the rest of, like, the people who were huge, huge Beatles fans. Yeah, like, I kind of, like, the closest thing I can think of, because, like, or, like, I guess, like, the closest touchstone for me is just, like, Selena dying, because, like, Texas has a state holiday <laughs> for it. Um, I didn't get that day off. Well, no, but it's still, like, a holiday. Anyway. Ain't no holiday if I can get that day off. Do you want to take Confederate Day off, Matt? Well, put it this way. That one's actually a recognized holiday. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, no, that's the only thing I can think of when it comes to, like, mass mourning. Um, I talked to my dad about it a little bit, and it's kind of like, yeah. He was like, people would just start crying when they thought about it. Um, yeah, which I don't, I don't think I've had a celebrity die that I was super, I guess Carrie Fisher, I was really, really sad about. But, like, overall, like, this is just, like, you losing one of the largest icons in music ever. Um, it'll probably be the same thing when Paul McCartney dies. Um, yeah, that's going to, like, be a huge, like, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be huge. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge. Paul McCartney's going to get on the Oscars thing uh, when he goes. Oh, yeah. Because he's a, he's a movie star. Because he, he played in. And he also did a crap ton of uh, uh, movie soundtracks and stuff. He's still making all that good, good money. Um, 
Yeah. Anything to add, Matt? No. Wait, I don't... I've never cared when a celebrity died. Yeah. A person dies every six seconds. Yeah. Okay. So, the next piece, going directly from that, is their legacy. Um, and their legacy is pretty much the entire state of music. Um, they're one of the single largest musical influences of all time in the U.S. and the U.K. at the very least. Um, probably in other places, too. Um, but Pink Floyd, Nirvana, Green Day, Franz Ferdinand, the Beach Boys, U2, the Rolling Stones, Soundgarden, Queen, The Cure, The Police, Velvet Underground, Smashing Pumpkins, uh, wrote down more, um, The Black Keys, Katy Perry, Al Green, Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, have all covered their songs, and most of them have said that they're inspiration to become musicians was from them. That is a giant swath of music that covers so many different things. Um, they also inspired a lot of Motown. Um, most of these are only the first generations influenced by them too. Many of the bands listed inspire more. So like if you track out down that tree, like Beatles inspire Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd inspires a crap ton of other people and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, like, their music went everywhere. There are movies and music videos, and, like, I don't even know how to talk about how much the Beatles are ingrained in our culture. <laughs> um, because they just are especially at my age like they've just kind of always been here and kind of always been everywhere but if you like if you listen to people and musicians talk about influences like the Beatles will almost always be mentioned yeah I think the biggest thing is that they did it in what like six or seven years and then like didn't really do too much as a group after that and then are still like prolific like you have all these other big name bands who are undoubtedly like culturally relevant who break up and then like a few years later come back for like a reunion tour and then like make all this money or whatever yeah but the Beatles had just like that one thing for that short span and then are still iconic today I think that's like the biggest and craziest thing yeah well they also put out a lot of music we said what 13 albums, 13 in, albums. in 10 year span I mean nowadays you're lucky to get an album from somebody in every four years yeah, yeah. it's all about them singles <laughs> you're not wrong yeah, they, I mean, they just influence so much. Like, also, we just talk about licensing. There's, like, Beatles everything. And that's not just now. Like, when Beatlemania was at its height, you had Beatles merchandise everywhere still. Yeah, my grandma had so much Beatles stuff. Like, she had Beatles Monopoly. Like, for example, she had, like, Beatles Monopoly. I don't think she even played Monopoly with us literally one time in her entire life. <laughs> but she had the Monopoly had the Beatles set. on it. Yeah. <laughs> So, everything. I've never had a piece of Beatles memorabilia at all. Really? Nope. I had a t-shirt. Nope. None of my family. Wow. Nope. Do you have any personal, like, do you have any attachment to the Beatles? Or any, like, 
like so I guess like what I'm asking is because like I can name moments like not even in my house where I've been exposed to the Beatles like significant moments where I'm like oh yeah the Beatles are here this moment is happening because Beatles like do you have anything that like like that when the Beatles come to mind the only thing that comes to my mind was one time at a party about 10 years ago we were all drunk and one of my friends found out that his girlfriend's favorite band was the Beatles and then my other friend was very pissed off that his girlfriend didn't like the Beatles like that and he punched his monitor and broke it <laughs> what yes holy crap and this was back before they had flat screen monitors so it was one of those big old ones so he was mad that his girlfriend didn't love the Beatles he was mad that his girlfriend didn't love the Beatles as much as his friend's girlfriend loved the Beatles what you weren't legal to drink 10 years ago. Well, I don't think it was quite 10 years ago, but <laughs> probably more like 8. Okay. It's like breaking the laws, Matt. This is Texas. Yeah. God, that's insane. That's about the only Beatles story I have. I don't have those. <laughs> yep. I have, like, across... I saw, like, Across the Universe three times in the movie theater. I don't even think I've seen that movie so good so long but so good um well let me go ahead and i'll read the but why those that we got um so for the fan but why those this comes from at ersatz ash who is one of our lovely bloggers and uh, podcasters yes uh she hosts the safari zone um so and she says as a teenager whenever i was dealing with anxiety going through depressive episode or just having a bad day i would turn to their music and it would always make me feel a little bit better and it still does uh from at dr ragnarok that's kind of a loaded question but i think is that every song I was introduced to spoke to me in a specific time of my life. Their songs teach me so much, but also never fail to make me feel something. And and they are a massive influence on my writing and sense of humor. Okay. Uh, this is from at Nico the Aurora. Um, also one of our lovely bloggers. Um, so he says, the main reason they matter to me is because they help shape a close relationship between my grandfather and I. He was a massive fan of the Beatles. He would always listen to their music of his on his old record player. They also established my love of music. Awesome, Nico. Um, and that's all we had. I'm sure we'll get more like throughout the day because like, I posted this kind of late, like right before we recorded um so yeah um i guess like closing thoughts is kind of all i can think of adrian um okay um so i definitely understand all of their cultural influences and i think they're all fantastic but like it all just comes back to my grandmother for me um i've been like thinking like this whole time we've been recording about like, what my favorite song about the beatles is because i feel like i should pick one for you know just for like the love i have for them because of that so I probably have to go with yesterday because that's the song that reminds me most of my grandmother. And then I sent my mom a text while we were recording to ask her like what my my grandma's favorite Beatles song was. And she said uh, my mom said that she had a favorite Beatles song for like depending on like, how she was feeling. So a lot like I said, which is kind of like a good like <laughs> rap back because I didn't um, I didn't actually know that. I never asked her what her favorite Beatles song was. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, and then my grandma and now that I'm like remembering, my grandma always used to like sing "I'm a Loser" at me just to mess with me. <laughs> So, I mean, that's, like, where my cult, a lot like Nico's, but why, like, that's, like, my connection and why they'll always matter. Um, 
regardless of time and I think all of like the social stuff they do is great but it all just comes back to like my own personal feelings when it comes to the Beatles yeah Matt um a broken monitor and a hunt an achievement on rock band it's about all that the Beatles really mean to me anything from the lesson that I just gave from the lesson you gave, I mean, I knew they were very influential. I knew they were big. I knew a lot of people loved them. I know some people were crazy over them. I knew about some Be- people are still crazy yeah, over them. I knew Broken about Beatles media. In- yes, um, but overall, I mean, my family never really listened to the Beatles, and they did. I they never mentioned it. Or I never noticed. But, I mean, we had albums, and people had a lot of albums, but Beatles were never one that was on. I don't know. I was just one of those. I just never. I will say this: as as I've gotten older, I've listened to some of the music and I've you know kind of come to enjoy it. But I just never have the connection of the, like life changing moments. Yeah. Except for that broken monitor. <laughs> um. So for me, um, I kind of mentioned it in the beginning. Just like there were the same bands that played in my house like every Sunday afternoon when we got back from my grandma's and my dad would clean and it was the Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, and The Doors. Nonstop. On vinyl that my dad had had since he bought them in the 70s. Um, And like my dad still does that he goes into like his the man cave thing that my mom made for him and he just puts his records on and listens to them and he actually has um his abbey road album because of it's it's like one of the original prints is actually very expensive and my dad does not care and just stores it in a box with all of his other records um and i'm just kind of like dad no um and I've told him many times, I was like, in your will, you better leave those records to me because there are a lot of gold. There's a lot of gold in there. And I don't know. I think now that I'm older, I have a deeper connection to a lot of the Beatles songs. Um, actually, A Perfect Circle. Um, it's not a Beatles song. It's a John, Len- John Lennon song. Imagine. Like, in Perfect Circle is probably one of my favorite bands ever. Um did a cover of it that's like really haunting and like really pertinent to what's happening today and stuff um so i mean like they've i don't know i've I've listened to beatles all day today i knew all the words to the songs like even though i didn't know the names of the songs and i like could i can map a piece of like i don't know who i am now to each of them like oh this totally relates to me in this way um so the fact that like four dudes from england could have that impact this many years in the future from when those songs were made is really, really cool. Because England is awesome. You don't even like the Beatles, Matt. <laughs> but I'm from England. Oh my god. You thought all of them were dead <laughs> before we recorded this. I just want to make that known. Matt that thought that all of them were dead. But I'm from England. Oh my god. I that re- makes it even worse. <laughs> I really wish I could have gotten that on tape. They're all dead. You have it on tape now. Matt said it. As always, thank you for listening. And you can find us on Twitter at ButWhyTheOPC. And um, catch us at OP Live September 22nd and 23rd in Dallas at the Irving Convention Center. We are their guests. Like, 
they're VIP guests. They invited us to come. We're coming. We're going to be streaming there in a booth. Um, it's super, super cool, so you should most definitely, if you're in the Dallas area, come to it. Come check them out and come check us out. Um, and as always, you can find me at but why uh, no, that's not where you find me. As always, you can find me at oh my myth randier on Twitter. Adrian. Yep, you can find me on Twitter at superreese ninety three s u p e r r u i z ninety three. Matt. Half the Beatles are dead. Oh my God, Matt! Now pick a new pick pick a different one. Can you find Ringo Starr? Oh my God. <laughs> and.